Good to see you on this rainy Sunday. My name is Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here at Summit Crossing. I just want to welcome you. Um, we've been in Genesis. We're going to be there just a little bit longer. We're starting to speed up because some of these stories uh, are, are a little bit longer. Um, so if you have, like Joel said, just go on and have a Bible in front of you today. Uh, there was too much scripture that we're going to kind of look at to put it on the screen. You get lost in it trying to scroll back and forth. So we're going to do a lot of thumbing today. Um, Genesis is the first book of the Bible, so it's easy to find. So just find that first book and then find chapter 40 and 41 uh, is kind of what we're going through. Um, one thing as we do get started today is things that have just been on our hearts as leaders here um, to talk about just what, what we're really here for, what we really desire, to not forget that and jump from story to story to story. And we do want the stories to, to make sense because the, the Bible, the truth, is worth where the Holy Spirit's power just kind of pours out on us. But to, to not forget the big picture, that we desire as a people to see God break out, to, to, to have a hunger for Him, uh, just be awakened in this area for revival. That's not just an, an event, but a way of life, that it's more about Sunday mornings and Wednesdays, uh, but all of life to be transformed. That it's in our hearts, it's what we desire to see. I believe that's what we are called to, a, a profound sense of a need for God, uh, for prayer, for love, for the Word, for uh, a sensitivity to God's Spirit, a desire for holiness, for that not to just be in, in a couple of people, but for that to, to break forth in the people of God. And so it spills out onto the city that's around us and, and wonder how can we expect God to really move when, when we don't desire uh, prayer and, and God's Word to be paramount in our lives, to have a sensitivity to the Spirit. So that, for those things... How can we expect Him? Do we really believe in prayer? Because to, to say that we really believe in prayer, praying says we do. Not praying says we don't. And to, to realize that in our hearts and to repent where we don't see that, to turn away from that and to desire God to move. To long for God's people to come together regularly to celebrate and worship Him. To scatter during the week to be lights in a dark place. For natural conversations, whether in, in, in the cubicle or the or ballparks, or classrooms or hallways, to be about God. To realize that He is at the center of our lives, not just an add-on, not just something we have to enhance our lives. And for that to be normal. For simple disagreements at work to be opportunities for the gospel to shine, for marital conflicts to be a chance to see Jesus' restoration. Not just so you can hammer out your differences and communicate, maybe grow in your communication skills, but to see God in all of life. That's our hope. And so I hope today that you're reminded when we read Genesis how big God is. But then when you see how big he is, don't forget, he's not that big. He's right here. Fancy words for that are transcendent and imminent. He created the cosmos, and yet he crafted our souls. And so at the same time, he should blow our minds and cause us to have a real love, to learn a, a yearning after him, to see that he's sovereign in all things, from individuals to nations and through pits and prisons and, and now palaces, that he's with Joseph. And he uses his suffering to point, to create beauty, to display glory. And it's enjoyed by his people. And so today we have three acts. It's like a play. There's three acts. There's the prisoner's dreams, and there's Pharaoh's dreams, and then there's Joseph's rise to power. 
And from that, we see three points. Number one, Joseph is prepared, which is storyline A. Number two, Pharaoh is prepared, which is storyline B. And then point three is where A and B come together, and we see the beauty of God's sovereignty displayed. And yet another picture of how he's weaving a tapestry to get glory that we enjoy. And our response is worship and praise for who God is. Number one, Joseph prepared. So we've been on a, a journey with Joseph the last few weeks. Right? We, we saw Joseph move from being a favored son with a bright future who probably he talked too much. He was quick to tell you how much he knew. He went from there to about as low as you can get. He was left for dead. He was sold as a slave to a foreign country. He did everything right, even in the foreign country, when he, he, uh, he, he eschewed the, the sexual advances of Potiphar's wife. He did everything right, and he was rewarded by being put in prison, thrown into jail, which is even lower than, the, than a slave. He's a slave that was put into to prison. We know that he could have easily fallen into self-pity and despair. He could have had a critical spirit. He could have been a complainer. All these, everything goes wrong. Even when I do everything right, nobody else does. He could have been subject to bitterness, anger at God. Honestly, he didn't do anything wrong. But we don't hear the Bible say, but Joseph was a good guy. He remained faithful, gritted his teeth, and pressed through. The Bible doesn't say that. It's the resounding drumbeat of the Bible is the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 2 and 3 and 21 and 23 of last week. It's because the Lord was with Joseph that he was being sustained and transformed. That there was power and there was hope and there was promise in him. From his early dreams, in the pit, in the prison, we see that the Lord was with Joseph. He did not deliver Joseph. He did develop Joseph. Those are the differences that we see. And we know from last week, it, it wasn't as important in Hebrew thought geographically where Joseph was, whether he was in a pit or in a prison or in Potiphar's house. It was important where Joseph was spiritually. Everything else can adjust to that. And so sometimes we're delivered and sometimes we're developed. And our response indicates our maturity level in Christ. And God is developing Joseph into a mature believer who trusts in the Lord, who treasures God above all things that the treasures of Egypt can and will probably be providing soon. That process doesn't just happen overnight. It takes time. He's in prison. He's been falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. And then he has two more prisoners that are coming in. So this is where we kind of pick up in the story, right? One's a, a cupbearer. He's an advisor to, to Pharaoh, a trusted advisor. And the other is a, a chief baker. And they're both... Somehow they've upset Pharaoh, which is not a good thing to do. He's the king, and you don't need a trial. You don't need to be, you don't even need to be guilty. You just have to upset him. So you get thrown into jail. That doesn't sound right. Nobody cares what you think. You're not the king. (laughs) Be mad. Don't get too mad, though, because you'll be in prison, too. All right? That's kind of how that works. That's quite a bit of power. 
And each one of them comes to Joseph, or, or at least Joseph, Joseph sees them. And Joseph comes to them. Joseph initiates, and he walks to them, and he says, Why are you down? This is chapter 40. Why are you down? To the prisoners. That's one reason that we can see that Joseph, and we see Joseph how he's being refined. He's being changed, right? This is uncharacteristic of the Joseph we know from his youth, at least when we were introduced to him. He kept talking about his dreams, right? And everyone, including his mom and dad, were going to bow down to him. And he kept saying, hey, here's what I dreamed, and here's what I dreamed. It was driving people crazy. He had zero self-awareness of what he was talking about. He could only see himself as the center of all his conversations. This is a different picture of Joseph. This is someone who knows suffering, who knows loneliness, who has been hurt. And in a way, like Jesus, a man of sorrows, he can now relate to pain. And he can recognize it. And he engages it. He doesn't just want to tell them what he's thinking. And this is a new man. He's addressing these prisoners. Even in his low place in prison, he now thinks about others. And he isn't just concerned with himself. So they tell him, here's why we're down. We both had dreams. They don't know what they mean. And Joseph, from his familiarity with dreams uh, from God in the past, he just says, trust in the Lord. He says, don't interpretations belong to God? Now, the fact that Joseph is willing to say that and entertain these dreams may be a hint to us. It may be a hint that Joseph still believes that the dreams from his youth may still come true. That he hasn't given up on them. He's like, because he could have just said, dreams are meaningless. They don't mean anything. I had some dreams once like you. Nothing. But he doesn't. He engages with them. And so the the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and says, uh, in chapter 41, verse 9, says, There was a vine before me, and the vine, there were three branches, and as soon as it budded, blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes, and Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup, placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. So that's his dream. And Joseph then in, interprets it in verse 12, says, Hey, you know what? After three days, you're going to be restored. You're going to be back where you were. Okay. Just, hey, verse 14. When you do... Remember me. Remember when it is well with you. Please do me the kindness to mention to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. Don't forget me. Know that I've done nothing wrong, that they should have put me into this pit. He's like, I shouldn't even be here. Maybe you can get me out of here and get me back to a normal life. And I doubt Joseph at this point is thinking he's going to be speaking with Pharaoh. He's a prisoner. Prisoners don't talk to kings. It doesn't happen. The Pharaoh likes what he, I mean, uh, the the baker likes what he hears, so he steps up, and since his dream went well, verse 16 and verse 17, he's like, hey, well, what what about mine? And so Joseph says, he says to Joseph, I also had a dream, and there were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. So Joseph interprets again. In verse 18, we see, uh, he says, hey, here's your interpretation. Pharaoh also uh, will lift up your head, but it'll be from you. You're going to be hung on a tree. You're going to die. Ooh, that's not what he was expecting. I mean, he got a good one. Why don't I get a good one? It, it doesn't work like that, right? 
Joseph's not here for you. <laughs> He's telling you what the dreams mean. Those are different endings. And so we find that Joseph was right. And the cupbearer was restored to his position before Pharaoh. And the, and the baker was hanged and, and impaled even, right? And chapter 40 finishes with, Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Just like a double, like he didn't remember him at all. Didn't even occur to him. And then the next chapter, chapter 41, just kind of starts with, after two whole years. <laughs> two whole years. And so we, we want these huge changes. We want these huge changes. And, you know, Abraham was promised a, a child and he was going to be fruitful. It took 25 years to have his first child of promise. We, we look at Jacob. It took 14 years to have his, first Leah and then Rachel before he left the land. It takes us, this is going to be 13 years for Joseph. We just want things to go through the fast food drive through and have the Lord just take care of our problems for us so we can go on to the next thing. And our biblical example is not that. Joseph asked after giving such a good interpretation, you'd think, you'd think the cupbearer would remember, right? Here's a question. Do you ever think that people's faults are more powerful than God's plan. Because that's the way I'd be feeling right now. I'm like, well, God had a plan, but this guy can't remember. Or this person thinks about themselves more than they do anybody else. So God's plan is probably thwarted. That's going to be our, our tendency. And this, this story reminds me that God is always right on time. He's on time. He's not always on my time schedule, but he is always on time. And there's a ripeness. There's a fullness to time that we're going to see. And Joseph is once again being refined and his trust in the Lord deepened. His roots are going deep. That after, after a decade, more than a decade of many more downs than ups, Joseph has learned to depend on the Lord for his daily bread each day. We read in James 1, verse, verse 2 and 4, right? Can it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds? We know this verse. We can say it with a smile. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let that steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That is great for other people. That's a good verse for you, <laughs> not for me. Ah! The development in the pit is preparing him for the palace. And the order for Joseph is important. It must be the pit first before the palace. Number two, Pharaoh is being prepared. So not only is God preparing his follower, Joseph, God is also preparing Pharaoh, the heart of Pharaoh, the king of a nation that does not know the Lord. Keep reading in chapter 41, verse 2. Pharaoh dreamed that night, and he dreamed he was standing by the Nile. Verse 2, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump. They fed on, they fed in reed grass, all right? This is a dream. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. Wouldn't you? 
I mean, have you, can you, now it just kind of glances over that, but can you like work through that dream in your mind that, that fat cows are getting eaten by thin cows that are ugly? What does an ugly cow look like? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what it'd look like to, to have a cow eat a cow. I mean, that's, that's cannibalism. That's just kind of, that's a gross, anyway, I don't, not that you need to get caught up in that, but I'm like, well, Jamie just made that weird. I'm like, I've been listening to that my whole life and I've been fine with it until now. I, I get that. But this is why the man woke up. It's, it's a mess. And the word for ugly is actually the word for evil in appearance. I mean, it's evil. And so just the, I mean, I was shocked awake. Pharaoh was. All right. And so. Okay, his and the the spirit uh, the, in the morning, verse eight said his spirit was troubled, right? It it messed with him, and then also Pharaoh's got kind of a he has a godlike status in, in Egypt. He's thought to live on the the edge of divine realms that dreams to him have special credence, And he kept having that dream. And then he had, and he woke up and he goes back to sleep and he calms down and then he has another dream, right? Verse seven or, or, or verse, uh, excuse me, verse, verse five says, and seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them seven sprouted, uh, sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted again by these wind. And the thin ears swallowed up seven full plump ears. And Pharaoh awoke and behold, it was a dream and he was troubled. And so he sends for all the magicians and all the wise men, and he exhausts every resource he has to help him with this because he knows it's got to mean something. But nobody could interpret. And then suddenly, verse 9, the cupbearer remembers Joseph. Not for two years, but the dream kind of jogs his memory, if you will. And so he tells Pharaoh about his dream that he had during his imprisonment. And he says, you know, Pharaoh... I'm, I'm sorry, I remember my offenses today. And, and when you were angry with me and you threw me into prison and the chief, uh, the chief baker was in there, we both had dreams. And this, this was this guy there that interpreted them. And so Pharaoh's like, bring you up. King, prisoner, come forth. Why? His heart's being prepared. Pharaoh doesn't care that Joseph was a Hebrew. He should. Keep reading in, in the Pentateuch. The Egyptians don't like Hebrews. They don't like shepherds. He was, he was a Hebrew. He was a slave. He was a prisoner. But because the dreams were so unsettling and because God was preparing the heart of the king, Pharaoh now has a posture of receiving information. He doesn't care who it comes from. Will it help? It's not about the messenger anymore. It's about the message. Joseph was an unknown. And here's where the stories start to align. Joseph's preparation is about to be tested. He's, he's going to appear before Pharaoh, the king. And so the scripture says they cleaned him up, right? Gave him some decent clothes. They shaved him. So remember, he's not staying in a, in a Motel 6 or, or a Holiday Inn Express. This is, you remember the, the clasp of iron around his neck from Psalm 105? And the fetters on his feet that made him hurt. They're having to clean him up to appear before the king. And he does. And Pharaoh says, I hear that you interpret dreams. And Joseph corrects him with 
with great confidence. That's one word in Hebrew. It says, but it's not me. But God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. That's remarkable. A quick, his default is to God. Joseph, Joseph didn't know. He knew he might have a dream or whatever. And Pharaoh just asked a question. And his response just on the spot was, not me, but God. Is our default that? Or is it, well, let me think a minute. Well, let me remember what I did in the past. Let me, let me think about what some other friends have done that I really respect and they're wise. He's like, not me, but God. And I'm like, I respect that. I don't always do that. And so Pharaoh tells him his dream, and Joseph interprets, verse 25. He says, the dreams are one. You know, the cows and the corn, that, that's one dream. God has revealed to Pharaoh, so God spoke to Pharaoh, what he is about to do. And then verse 27 and, and 29. Basically, there's going to be seven years of plenty, and then there are going to be seven years of terrible famine. One verse says you're going to have plenty. Five verses say you're going to have terrible famine. So just get the idea that it's really bad. Like the word terrible probably doesn't do it justice, so you better listen to that part. And then verse 32 says this has been fixed by God. So there's will of decree, there's will of command. This one's fixed. This is going to happen. But Joseph doesn't stop there. He's done. That's all Pharaoh asked him. Interpret my dream. Okay, done. Joseph takes a step forward, and he doesn't stop there. And he could have. He probably could have been released from prison. He probably got, could have gotten what he was wanting at the time. Because what he's done already is a great thing. But while in prison the last two years, spending time with the Lord, he probably realized a connection between the, the, the dream God gave him so long ago and the fact that he's being, he's to appear before Pharaoh. There's probably some connection there. Maybe the Lord has chosen him for such a time as this. Whatever the reason, we know that Joseph knows God's will for Egypt. And that's an interesting thing. Joseph knows God's will for Egypt, and he knows that God wants Pharaoh to know it so that they can respond. So knowing what God was going to do led Joseph not to inaction. Knowing what God was going to do led Joseph not to passivity, but to action. You see the difference there? A lot of times we think, well, God knows everything, so what's the point in doing anything? It's the very reason to do something. It establishes our reason to do something. The knowledge of what God is going to do motivates Joseph not to passivity, but to action. And so we can't divorce God's sovereignty from man's responsibility. One guy says it this way. The knowledge of God's purpose is not the end of human planning and action, but the beginning. God has chosen his people to bring about his will. Ephesians 3.10, so that the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. For some reason, he's chosen us as people to bring about his will. That's his good pleasure. I don't understand it. I'm a wreck. You are too. You're not off the hook. Yet in his grace, he displays his glory through us. So Joseph wisely, he steps forward and says, Here's what you ought to do, <laughs> Pharaoh. Okay. Hey, I was in prison. What have I got to lose? I mean, you know, you cut my head off. Big deal. We're done. 
he wisely suggested, save 20% every year in every city for seven years. So that when the seven years come, that are, they're famine after that, you'll have something. This is a good idea. It's decentralized. You don't have to worry about carting it around. It'd be all, it's really smart. And Pharaoh and his servants kind of turn to you together and like, I like this guy. He's a good guy. You know, they, they kind of, they love what Joseph says. And he notices there's something different about Joseph. I mean, why would he choose him to be like second in command? Hey, you interpreted my dream. Congratulations. I'm going to give you everything. I mean, <laughs> so he's like a little bit of an overstate, overstep. I mean, like if one of his magicians had done that, I'm like, I don't think they would be running the country, right? Here's what's going on. Pharaoh follows God's will by exercising his own. God's at work the whole time. It's a plan. Suddenly Joseph is the man. He's put over Pharaoh's house. And only Pharaoh is going to be greater than him. In verse 41, Pharaoh says to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And then he gives him a signet ring, which is how you can make decrees. And you just kind of dip your, your ring in the wax and put it on the decree in the document. He gives him a signet ring and a fine robe and a gold chain. He gives him a wife from a royal line. He gives a new status and privilege. He even gives him a new name, an Egyptian name. And he made, he made him, that's the, the Bible word, he made him ride in a second chariot in front of everybody and said, bow the knee. This is quite a day, right? After you woke up in prison and you're like, I'm not sure I'm getting three squares today. This is quite a change of events. Three. Sovereignty on display. Jacob has been prepared. Pharaoh has been prepared. Points one and two come together. And we see God's story unfold. This is amazing. God has prepared Joseph all along for his role in the greater story of the people of Israel and, and, and how they're going to be families that the whole earth is going to be blessed by. This is Genesis 12 starting to unroll a little bit that we can see that we started in so long ago. And so Joseph has moved from the pit into the prison. Now he's up to the palace. You remember the J-curve from Philippians where we talked about the death, burial, and resurrection? This is it throughout Joseph's life. This is where we're seeing it. He, he walks through the death and the burial, and, and now he's walking, and God is raising him up for a purpose, not to just raise him up. And if Joseph hadn't been developed by the Lord and grown in his maturity through the pit and through the, pr- the prison, the palace would have destroyed him. How can you say that? You ever been in a palace? No, you haven't. Well, kind of you have. Think about it. This is God preparing him, right? He learned about servant leadership by being over Potiphar's house. Kind of weaned him on that. Now he's over Pharaoh's house. That's a bigger house. He learned about serving others in prison at the lowest levels. If you're a teacher, you understand when your principal does stuff, you're like, they don't know. They're not in my classroom. Your boss, you're like, you're, you're talking to your boss who's maybe your boss's boss. You're like, my boss's boss doesn't know what I'm doing down here. I'm in the trenches with the numbers and the spreadsheets. Joseph was in the prison. 
He's been as low as you can get. He understands the low level and the grassroots level. And so he's learned servant leadership. He's learned about serving others. He's being prepared. This is like Karate Kid. I'm going to lose the reference I know on a lot of you. This is a wax on, wax off moment. Why am I doing this? I don't know. I mean, you know, all of a sudden you're a fighter. I mean, this is what happens. You're, you go to prison to learn how to lead. Didn't Jesus do that? Joseph needed prison before the palace because it's harder to be faithful when you have no needs. All the riches and the pleasures of the palace are now available to him. All the politics, all the social posturing, all the status maintaining, the pressure is going to be huge in this dark and sinful environment. And a 17-year-old kid that just talks a lot and has had a couple of dreams is not prepared for that. Jesus said in Matthew 19, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the rich young ruler went away sad because he had many possessions. In prison, you're in touch with your need. In the palace, you're not. So can Joseph handle this? Yeah. He can now. How do we know? Because Pharaoh tried to make Joseph as Egyptian as possible. In every sense, new clothes, an Egyptian name, the signet ring, an Egyptian wife, a status. But he's, Joseph has been in prison. <laughs> he's not enticed by all the, the accoutrement, the, the dress-ups, the riches, the palace, the jewelry, the fame. God has been the only constant of his life, right? God has been the only constant, the only one that was always there. And he knows, Joseph knows who he is, and he knows who God is. That there is no tr- there's no power over him. There's no wisdom, wisdom in and of himself to even do dreams. That his future is determined by God. His future is not determined by Pharaoh, even though Pharaoh thinks that it is. Verse 31, see that I have set you over all of Egypt. Pharaoh thinks he made Joseph. But if you're paying attention, the book of Genesis doesn't say that at all. It says that Pharaoh thinks that he made Joseph. Genesis claims God gets the glory for that because it's not by the hand of Pharaoh, it's by the hand of God through his servant Pharaoh. We know that Joseph is ready because in verse 51, Joseph has two children. Even though Pharaoh gave him, gave Joseph an Egyptian name, Joseph gives his two children by a royal Egyptian wife to Hebrew names. You don't do that. You say, thank you very much, let me assimilate to your culture. He says no. Manasseh and Ephraim, which is a social declaration of the commitment to the God of Israel. Now, the story doesn't end with Joseph becoming second in command over all Egypt. That's kind of where we finish it, because that's where we feel pretty good about that, because we like to be Joseph. I want to be Joseph. I went down, and God put me through the prison so I could live in the palace. Not good theology. It doesn't preach in Bangladesh. It doesn't preach in Rwanda. It doesn't preach pretty much anywhere outside of the Western U.S., Western world. It does, but it never comes to fruition. That's not the goal. This is not the Bible's goal to have Joseph in power, not to have Joseph repaid. This, this is not the goal of what we see. Our lives are so much greater than the sum of what we see. The impacts that we have daily, the little conversations, the moments that we didn't plan, they all funnel together into a masterpiece that God is weaving throughout history that we're going to marvel at one day. Right? That Joseph's dreams as a young man 
When others are bowing down to him, even his mom and dad, these are not God's goal. Joseph's story is part of a bigger picture, just like our story is. That God is creating a people for himself. And in the meantime, we trust him. That he's with us in pits and prisons, palaces. That, that And we can move from one to another with a snap of a finger. You just wake up and your life just crashes. And all of us here can live in a palace where we have no needs. And it may, it may cost us some stress some because we can borrow on credit. We can trust our, our savings, our 401k. We've got insurance, Medicare, social services. We've got all kinds of nets. And we're rich compared to the rest of the world. But it has a dangerously dulling effect on our spiritual need for God. It puts us to sleep spiritually. And so like Joseph, who has the grain for those who are hungry, we are given much to spread to those who do not. Through Joseph, all the earth is going to be blessed. That's what we're about to see. This is where the stories come together. Joseph's individual preparation, Pharaoh's preparation, so that the promise of God of Abraham, God, God to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3 starts to take shape. Look at the end of chapter 41, verses 55, and we'll finish up. When the land of Egypt was famished, all the land of Egypt was famished. The people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened up the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Catch verse 57. This is where the chapter ends. So when the famine, uh, moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. Catch that. Now we're getting toward an end of a, a part of the story. Not the whole story. But all the earth came to Joseph to be fed. All the families of the earth will be blessed by the descendants of Abraham. It starts here at the end of Genesis. And it unfolds and is fulfilled in Jesus. Because it's not just about getting our bellies full. It's about spiritual renewal. It's about a new heaven and a new earth. It's about all the wrongs being made right. It's about our broken marriages and relationships and evil and disease and natural disasters and all of that because of sin being made right and triumphed over for worship. It's so much bigger than just our story, but it does not exclude our story. Our story, story is part of it and is woven into the tapestry of the greater picture that all the angels and all the realms are going to worship and they're, they're longing to look into that. This is what you and I are, are, are part of. It's our mission. And so one brave conversation, one sacrificial relationship, one other-centered moment of time that says Jesus is the answer to the famine in your soul. Here's the picture. Here's where we're going. This is what it's all about. Don't despair. Remember. Remember what the Israelites were told by Moses as he told the story. Entrust your life to God. Wherever you are. He's faithful to his name. Call out to him. He won't let you down. Let's spend some time in prayer. Worship team can go on and come up here. Instead of grain, we distribute the bread of life. It's a little bit different, but not a lot. So we want to pray maybe three things. If you can read those, 
I'll read them out loud, but just kind of prepare your heart that pray that the, the palace in which most of us live would not dull our hearts, but that God in his kindness would wake us. Is that a desire in our hearts? Are we okay with just kind of meeting and going through the motions and doing the thing? Or is there something in us that desires to be wakened? It doesn't mean we're going to do everything right. It doesn't mean we're going to have all the right conversations. It doesn't mean, you know, after we say this, we're not going to make any mistakes. It doesn't. It means we're going to fall flat on our face and go, I need Jesus. Let's do this together. This is what a body of Christ is about. We repent together. We walk together. We help one another up. We pray. Do we believe in that? Number two, just take a moment to thank God for that in His sovereignty, He brings meaning and purpose to our stories, which find their home in His big story. A moment of just thankfulness. Thankfulness is an antidote to cynicism, a critical spirit, finding something wrong that you complain about. Find things that you're thankful for where God is working in your life. And then finally, ask God for an opportunity to serve others this week. Joseph, while he was in prison, while he was in the low place, still looked to the needs of others. He had to be meeting with God to do that. Otherwise, he'd just be sitting in a corner and having a self-pity party the rest of his prison stay. We don't see that. That's not a, a, a command, hey, be happy, don't worry. Just don't worry, be happy. Just get up and go and be a Christian. That's not what's going on. His heart's been affected by God, and the response to his heart is looking to others. And so how Jesus sought us while we were enemies and while we were children of wrath, he came after us even then. And so when God affects somebody, they change, and their, their, their hearts are transformed. They look for other people. They can have what they have. And so we pray that God is changing us, that he's real. It's not something that can be shugged off or have our arms just kind of crossed, and yeah, well, Jesus is great. Really? I don't believe you. We have to buy what we're selling. And so let's just pray that God would move. Let's do two or three minutes and we'll walk through taking the Lord's Supper together.